Hear how a mountaintop drove Kerouac crazy. He got depressed and fairly crazed and feral very quickly. Discover the power of a Utah landscape. The world may be eroding before us every day in the news, but this is the kind of erosion that creates beauty. And the joys of nature. Bison walking right through our campsite. Eagles flying overhead. On the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday afternoon at 2. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. Pollen Fruit is an art collaboration between David Burns, Matthias Wiegener, and Austin Young, and they share with us how they use the lens of fruit to share ideas about neighborhood, public space, and cultural history. They are interdisciplinary artists collaborating on projects including public fruit, walking tours, fruit mapping, and jams, jam-making events, that are all connected by fruit. They began the project in Los Angeles with creating public fruit maps, and their project has expanded to explore neighborhoods throughout the United States, including San Francisco, Santa Fe, and Denver, and internationally neighborhoods in Colombia, Austria, Mexico, and Sweden. Jam really would be enough as my fun, funny, and uplifting day spent at my first Fallen Fruit jam would indicate, but the artists of Fallen Fruit really have a sweet revolution in mind as their project builds to include fruit actions involving an emphasis on locally grown food and an awareness of base. I first met the Fallen Fruit Artists, on Sunday, August 7th, at their annual Fruit Jam at The Machine Project, an interdisciplinary, process-oriented storefront space for an afternoon of jamming in Echo Park, a Los Angeles neighborhood. This is a public event where people share publicly collected fruit and learn to make jam as part of Fallen Fruit's larger exploration of community, neighborhood, and the connection between fruit and social change. I met some of the participants at the event at the small storefront filled with jammers. I spoke with Matthias and Austin at the Fruit Jam and saw jammers bringing in bags of fruit where they then sat at tables preparing fruit for their preserve making which happened on the sidewalk out front on North Alvarado. And people were laughing and talking and overall having a Sunday afternoon of celebrations. Strangers and friends, preserve experts and first-time preserve makers chopped fruit at those tables inside that filled the storefront space. I learned that afternoon about the kinds of abundant fruit growing in Los Angeles neighborhoods, What journey has fruit taken them on regarding the impact of process and sharing? What kind of social change are they exploring with the project? And as Fallen Fruit explores issues around public access and the connection between fruit and social change and our cultural history, they're having a lot of fun doing it.
Hi, I'm Matthias Wiegener. I'm one of the three founders of Fallen Fruit. I'm just showing people what fruit is here, and we have regular lemons, like Lisbon lemons, the standard supermarket lemon. We have mandarin oranges. We have Meyer lemons, which are sweeter, and then we have sour oranges, which are really sour and bitter, but they make excellent marmalade. So you're one of the founders of Fallen Fruit. We're here at the Fruit Jam, and it really is a jam. People are are making jam. They're making preserves on the street, their pot set up, and also talking and having fun and spending a Sunday afternoon getting together. Yeah, we wanted to, uh, obviously we're like playing on the two meanings of jam. We wanted to do something that was really communal, where we got people who didn't know each other to sit together make jam, talk about things, learn, just create a new set of relationships in the city. The sort of idea of, we work on public fruit a lot on the idea of the public, but one of the things we realized is it's very hard to define who the public is, and one of the best things that artists can do, for example, is to create new publics, right? And you create publics by getting people to associate with each other. Right, because the public is not 4,000 people walking in single file, not talking to each other. Right, that's just a lineup or something. So it's a big part of our project. On the homepage of the Fallen Fruit site, they have this quotation: "When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger." That's from Leviticus. I'm speaking with Matthias Wiegener, one of the founders of the art collaboration Fallen Fruit. So, Matthias, how did you come up with the idea for Fallen Fruit? You collaborate with two other artists. What was that moment where you thought, we're going to try something, and what was that something? The moment was when the Journal of Aesthetics and Protest, which is a bunch of artists in L.A., have this terrific journal, which is about sort of art and politics, they sent us a, pro- a request for artist projects, right, and that dealt with some kind of urban issue or political issue or social issue. It wasn't just negative, but said, here, let's try this. In a way, we had the solution before we had the problem because we looked in our neighborhood and we, we just had seen all these fruit trees for years, right, that nobody was picking where the fruit was, like, rolling down the street. And we just decided to take that fruit, make a map of it, and just talk about it. Right, And then we hit upon the idea of, well, we can give it to homeless people. And that didn't actually work out because the homeless people either know where the fruit is already or they don't want fruit. You know, they need hot meals like we do, right? That was the root, though, looking in our neighborhood and seeing this thing that nobody was paying attention to and paying attention to it. When was that? 2004. Seven years ago. So seven years ago, and you started with the mapping, though. That's so interesting. So that was one of the original parts of it. The map was the first thing, yeah, the public fruit map of our neighborhood. From that, we keep mapping everywhere. Every place we visit, we have an exhibition, right? We make maps. If you look at the maps, they're hand-drawn, and they're very, they're kind of expressive, and the streets are marked and then there's little stars where the fruit trees are with like a p for peach or an a for apple but they're not exact so you would go to that block and you'd say there's two peach trees here and an apple and and a grapevine but you wouldn't know where they are exactly so you kind of have to wander right you have to look at a neighborhood and that we thought a lot about that right we thought we put the street address right how do we actually designate and and we like it a little loose because we really want people just as we want to work on who the idea of the public is, we want to work on the idea of the city and the neighborhood. 
How do you know it? What we do a lot is we know a neighborhood through the fruit trees. So many neighborhoods in the city where we just know what grows where, and it's a whole other way of mapping what's really very urban space, right? And it's an unusual way to map urban space, and that was very powerful for us. To see a neighborhood through the fruit trees, right. I can see how that is. And do you begin to have a relationship with the people who have those fruit trees? And that's what I'm also curious about, because even though you even have a flyer here, how to pick public fruit, and of course there are rules about trespassing and asking permissions depending on the situation. So what has happened with, I'm sure you go into neighborhoods now, you've gone there for many years. How have relationships developed and what has that been like with the people that have those trees? The relationships with the people that have the fruit trees are almost always really positive. Sometimes we do fruit tours, right, where we take a bunch of people through a neighborhood sort of harvesting fruit, foraging, right, finding what we can find. And sometimes it's a lot of people. You know, usually it's 60 or 80. Once it was 120 people. That was too much. But So there's a bunch of people walking down the street in L.A. in mass, which never happens, right, And people come out of their houses right away, right? They're like, what's going on? And we explain, and they're always, we have these great responses, and people say things like, is that edible? Right, that's the first thing they say. You know, it's growing in front of their house, right? And we're like, yeah, it's an orange tree. Try one, right? And they've never eaten the fruit in front of their own house. I mean, that, that happens, probably that's the single most common thing that happens. Or they say, please pick it. It's too much for us. It always goes to waste. Um, And then sometimes people invite us into their backyards and they say, you know, there's another, there's a plum tree in the back, you know, can you help me pick it? And we take like, you know, 80 people in the backyard and pick the plum tree. So it's really nice. We kept developing this idea of the public and that was another way, right? How to know the people, because you never, in cities today, you often don't even know your neighbors, right? So the chance to like walk through a neighborhood and meet the people who live there. You know, something I should say that's really, that we learned early on that's really important is one way to get a group of people who don't know each other to talk and get to know each other is to give them a, a task, right? Like making jam or picking fruit, right? And all of a sudden it's very easy to talk. If you listen here to the background noise, you, you hear endless conversations. They usually start about questions of fruit, what do you like, what do you do, or how to make jam. But then it's about where do you live, what's your street like, do you have any fruit treat? And it sort of echoes out from there. There's also something so unifying about food and yeah. sharing and eating and sitting at a table and There are these four tables set out here, and people are very engaged in what they're doing. And I see, yes, exactly these 25 people or so cutting everything from the kumquats to the plums. I'm seeing red skin plums to over there, there's a lemon being cut and... There's a, there was a fig over there, and the woman mm-hmm. laughed and said, well, there was a fig. She ate it before it ended up in the pot. Uh-huh. But there's something about, isn't there this table that we can come together over? It's the table, really important in all of culture, right? And food, obviously food is universal. And one of the things we learned pretty quickly is that fruit is a very special category of food because fruit is... It's really transnational, like pretty much the same fruit is available everywhere in the world, right? There's no such thing anymore. I mean, there are local fruit, but basically there are bananas everywhere in the world, and most of them come from Central America, right? And they're the same genetic banana. They cover all these 
national boundaries, they cover age boundaries, right? Like little kids eat the same fruit as old people and like them or don't like them, and they all have. Everybody has. Everybody's an expert. Everybody has an opinion, um, and it's really democratic. Do you know what I mean? Like fruit was once not so democratic in the sense that fruit was much more expensive, right? That's one of the things about modern agriculture. So basically, everyone eats the same fruit, and that was very. Amazing moment for us to figure that out—that kind of universal quality, right? Where we could get everybody to, to relate to it one way or another. And you know, there are people who just hate fruit or only like one kind of fruit, right? And that's—we're fine with that. It's not about you know the worship of fruit, but it is about using fruit as a way to talk to each other. Here are the fallen fruit principles. Think about who has fruit and other resources and who doesn't. Functional landscaping. Ask cities to plant trees in parks, parking lots, and on streets. Mapping is a way to share with everyone. Learning your neighborhood by foot rather than by car. Open dialogue within neighborhoods about public spaces. Ask property owners to plant fruit trees for everyone. Fresh fruit is a human right. I'm speaking with Matthias Wegener, one of the founders of the art collaboration Fallen Fruit. And where do you see the intersection happening between yourself as an artist? So what is that framework? So you, you began this project as an artist. That is the larger framework of this. Mm-hmm. But there are so many things that are happening now with this project. And so I'm curious also about authorship and yeah. the different spaces that this happens in. Here we are in machine project in a storefront that does all kinds of exchanges you go out on the street onto the sidewalk into people's backyards into neighborhoods with people you're also going into gallery and museum spaces so there's so many layers to fallen fruit so if you could share some of those layers you know partly as an artist it's different three of us collaborated together on projects before Fallen Fruit. We've known each other for a long time. But the projects we collaborated on were one-time projects. We were like, let's make this video, right? And then it's over, and then you go away, and then you come up with another project. There's something intense about collaborating for, for seven years now, right, on this one sort of ongoing project with all these parts, all these chapters, let's call them. It's hard. It's really, it's hard to collaborate, you know, and it involves negotiating it involves fighting it involves making up right and you keep moving through it and and in fact we've learned that if you don't fight it's not good either because then people repress stuff or, or get resentful so we have a very dynamic working process in a way for fallen fruit it's really important because partly we we see our project as not just a collaboration with the th- between the three of us but with the public like whoever's here is a collaborator not a participant or an audience member, right? They make the work the same way that we make the work. I don't even know if you want to call it work because it's kind of very pleasurable, but we're trying to break down that, that idea of the artist as someone who sort of stands up on a podium, shows you a great painting, or delivers a symphony, or you know, an aria, or one person kind of gives to the group. Here it's really different. It's the whole group working together. And when you began this project seven years ago, what was the landscape of this kind of work that has to do with collaboration with 
publics and exchanges and things, and how has that changed in the seven years? Um, there were other artists at the same time. I think it's something definitely of the last decade that's really happened a lot. The public nature, in a way, was... I think people understood that better than the fruit part. The, the fruit part was really weird to people, and they were like, huh, fruit. We were really oddballs, and we're much less odd now, not because we've changed, but the world has changed. So, like, suddenly people are really concerned with food. They're concerned with where their food is coming from. Is it local? Is it full of pesticides, right? And these are all things that we were already thinking about in the beginning. We were lucky, right? People were like, how did you know that all this would happen? And we didn't know. We were just sort of thinking in the right way, but it was, it was sort of chance. It was, you know what I mean? It wasn't a big plan. Did you have any fruit trees growing up that you got fruit from? Was there a connection for you to that act? Yeah, cherries. They were right on our next-door neighbors, but we kind of, like, shared both yards, and they had a black cherry tree, and it was, it was extraordinary and overwhelmingly delicious, right? It was just, like, psychedelic. It was so good. Where was this? Staten Island, New York. And have you found it all that now with this work that you're doing and focusing on fruit, and certainly fruit, for me, they do conjure up so many kinds of ideas and what they represent even in terms of their sweetness and there is a kind of a sensuality. And right. you talked about trans-global aspect of fruit, which is so interesting. Have you been at all surprised about what if any transformation has occurred for you now in your own focus on fruit for these seven years? Yeah, we constantly see new things, and that, that's really surprising. I mean, in another way, it's not surprising because every time you study anything, like you study, I don't know, uh, rubber, right? You keep studying it, and you learn more and more about it, and you see it in different ways, right? And so, for example something that started about two or three years later is we we started thinking well where does this fruit come from like in the world right so apples come from kazakhstan how did they get here and it turns out they came it was the islamic empire that kind of brought them from kazakhstan throughout europe and then it was the romans really the roman empire that brought the apple kind of further along in the world, right? And then all the kind of developments of colonization, you know, that, that brought them to America and Australia and New Zealand. Stuff like that became really interesting to us. The first project we did was on bananas, because bananas are the most popular fruit in the world. We want to work on, like, apples. There's a lot, of, a lot we want to do, but... And we call that the colonial history of fruit, right? Because there's a real history. And then there's a kind of different much more sentimental colonial history of fruit, which is immigration, right? So you keep meeting people like, you know, from Mexico who, who like remember a certain mango that they just can't have here, and it becomes a, a, a fixation. So all those memories, that, and they're often about fruit, right? A particular fruit. My mother's German, and for her it was gooseberries, right? And they just, even when she did find them here, they were never right. They were never like... German gooseberries. So has then your relationship with fruit, that sounds so funny to say, uh -huh. but your relationship with fruit and as you're talking about the things that you're learning and people's connections to specific kinds of fruit, has this led you to looking at 
mass food production and kind of industrial farming and what's yes. happening to strains of fruit and the kind of extinction of certain... Yeah. The banana is probably the best example in the world where there's there's one banana that basically 95% of the world eats. It's one same genetic banana. It's under attack by funguses around the world. It, that The banana's not going to exist in a, in a few decades. That's a distressing fruit in a way because there's so little genetic variety. So yes, the way we started is we're not going to do a big critique of industrial farming. Lots of people out there are doing that. But we are looking at sort of ways around it. And, and one way around it is really the planting a fruit tree out in front of your house on the property line, right, where you kind of have half the tree and you give the other half to the world. You say, here, come pick some fruit. And I'm seeing in this space posters and you have some posters that are images of people's arms and hands holding different kinds of fruit and then also there's text and graphic elements as yes. well so how are those incorporated into your project fallen fruit in a way the visual and the graphic work is sort of the more traditional art art but it's also like propaganda almost or you know what i mean it's just a way of like transmitting the message through images we did more in the beginning. I mean, we, we wanted it to be a social project, and that's what we think of it as essentially. But we're also, of course, interested in images, right? And in the way that fruit is represented in art, for example. And this is Fallen Fruit's definition of public fruit. Public fruit is any fruit growing in or over public space, such as the street, the sidewalk, or an alley. Parkways, the strip of land between sidewalk and curb, and even parks, medians, and parking lots can have public fruit. Many trees may originate on private space, but in most localities, common law rules apply, so public fruit can be picked by anyone who wants it. Public fruit as a category poses some interesting questions about public and private property. When in doubt, ask. People can be remarkably open to sharing their fruit, and often on fallen fruit tours, people invite us into their yards to pick. A smile never hurts. Sample the fruit, don't hoard it. Leave enough for others and for the people that live nearby. There really is something unifying and ancient, as one of the founders of Fallen Fruit, Matthias, talked about about sitting at a table together to make something and the sharing of food and the experimenting with recipes, acquiring a new skill such as preserve maker or helping a stranger figure it all out. But the most intriguing aspect of the afternoon spent at the fruit jam was the way in which community built over the slicing of fruit and the making of jam. My name is Austin Young and I'm one of the founders of Fallen Fruit. I'm sitting next to one of the founders of Fallen Fruit. You're slicing the most fragrant, delicious smelling. I'm looking out at the room that more and more people are coming in now as part of this fruit jam and all kinds of fruit from plums and oranges and different kinds of oranges and lemons and figs. And I see some sort of herb on a table and behind me out on the street, there are pots going and people are making jam. Yeah, I'm cutting up these delicious Meyer lemons from the streets of LA. They're super sweet, and I'm going to make a Meyer lemon and bitter orange marmalade. We got the bitter oranges from this Los Feliz neighborhood. And Los Feliz is about 10, 15 minutes from here? Just up sunset, up near Griffith Park. So did you know where these Meyer lemons and the bitter oranges were growing already? Is this a favorite spot for you? In Los Feliz, up near Griffith Park, there's tons of bitter oranges. They line the street. 
and so then the and bitter oranges are the best for making marmalade. And I like the Meyer lemon because it it's just a little sweeter and it adds a little interest. Maybe not quite as as bitter. So how many jars of jam do you have at home? That's really funny because I, I normally give away all my jam to my friends, but I have I have about ten jars in my fridge right now. So has jam become part of your diet <laughs> since you began Fallen Fruit? You know, it's it's really funny because yeah, it has. It's totally changed my relationship. I have a large yard and fruit trees, and, and it's changed my relationship to my fruit trees. When my fig tree goes off, I'll like pick most of the fruit and then make and make jam, and then I'll give the jam away to my friends as, as presents, and uh, or keep some for the, in the fall or winter. So it's absolutely changed changed my relationship to the way that you can store fruit and, and eat it throughout the year. Well, this smell is phenomenal. I wish you could smell what I'm smelling right now. But these Meyer lemons are incredible. And also the colors, which people aren't able to see right now. Yeah, but the, Meyer, the Meyer lemon is great because it actually turns orange, and sometimes they're so orange they look like an orange, like this one here. Oh, that's a they Meyer get, lemon? Yeah, and as they ripen, they just get sweeter, and, and they turn more and more orange. Mm. Yeah. So how did you begin with Fallen Fruit? David and Matthias and I started Fallen Fruit as just a one call for an art project from the Journal of Aesthetics and Protests. And uh, it was just a, yeah, it was just a one-time idea that we sort of brainstormed together. And then after we came up with it, we realized really quickly, like, oh, this is a really good idea. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's when you come up on an idea and you realize, like, it just, you could think of it from several different angles or from the outside or from the in and it was was kind of one of those sort of you know you could add infinity it was as political as it is salt of the earth so many incredible ways to think about it so so we we got really excited about it and just kept on rolling with it seven years later you're still going and for you Austin anything about fruit in particular? Has there been something that you're gravitating towards more that has been an outcome so far of these collaborations you're doing? To me, it represents a connection with with the earth and our and our past. And, and I think it's really important to think about where your food comes from. In one generation, we've let go of things like storing our apples for the winter or storing the, the food that we grow um, or or being connected to the food that we grow. And so that's been a really important part of this project for, for me personally, just because my grandparents used to be farmers and just seeing how we, we've become so disconnected from, from our environment. And so that was a really important part of this project for me. And where were your grandparents farmers? Uh, Nevada. Potatoes, mostly. And, of course, everything else is in a small way, but they were commercial potato farmers. Do you have a favorite place to go in Los Angeles at this point to pick fruit? Yeah, I live in Silver Lake, and there's a lot of, of citrus around Silver Lake, which is, which is great. So, and then the, if you're lucky enough to find a good... I love... One of my favorite things to have is grapefruit, so I'll, like, try to 
seek out a grape, a good grapefruit tree. Fallen Fruit has had collaborations in museums and institutions, including the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, LACMA. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artel. To find out more about Fallen Fruit, you can go to www.fallenfruit.org. And if you're interested in making a fruit map, you can do that too and find information on their website about how you can do that. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artel. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel. Safe travels. This is Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg, host of Let's Talk Vets. It's what you've earned. Throughout the state, Vet Centers, a grassroots outreach of the Veterans Administration, offers vets a wide range of services in non-clinical settings. And the New York State Veterans Affairs offers a myriad of benefits to New York State vets. That's Let's Talk Vets, 7 p.m., October 9th, right here on your community radio station, WJFF. The WJFF Auction is Saturday, October 19th at Farmhouse Catskills in Calhoun Center. And we are looking for special experiences, services, destinations, things that we can auction off to benefit your community radio station. Like overnight stays and getaways, gift certificates for fine food, health and wellness services, instructional workshops. Call today to make your contribution at 845-482-4141 and then come out to the auction October 19th, Calhoun Center. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. From the Archives, Onkelo into Eternity. We call it Onkelo.